You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety who's in for Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on the coaching changes on Black Monday, look ahead to Wild Card Weekend, and catch up with former NFL linebacker Stephen Tulloch. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former NFL quarterback and NFL analyst from CBS, Steve Berline. Steve, Happy New Year. Thanks for taking the time. Let's start with that game you saw yesterday. Colts now looking for a new head coach. How attractive do you think this job is when you put it all together? The pros, obviously, a healthy Andrew Luck when he comes back from the shoulder procedure. The negatives, I think, the division getting much tougher with the Jags and Titans going to the playoffs and Houston finally finding a franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, that the division is, is definitely um, moving in the, in the upward direction. I mean, that the, the Titans that took a step back here late in the season, but but everybody obviously knows that they're they're a playoff team, and, and uh, you know if they can get consistent play out of their quarterback Mariota, uh, you know they can play with anybody. And then the Jags obviously been one of the big stories of the year. But I think um, when you when you look at Indianapolis, I think it's a very attractive situation. And Nick uh, knows this. You know when you when you've got your franchise quarterback, um, you know that that makes it a very attractive option. And I think a lot of people are. Um, put a little, a little bit too much uh, negative spin on what's going on with Andrew Luck. Sure, it was a huge disappointing loss to not have him available all year, but I think in the long run, this year off and, and making sure that he's 100% healthy coming out of this year and going into next year, I think is going to really play, pay, pay big dividends for the Colts. He, he's going to be absolutely fine. Uh, they were trying to, initially they were trying to get him back and rush him back probably before that arm was ready. And I think it was fortunate that things worked out the way that they did because had he not had the minor setbacks, he could have ended up coming back maybe a little bit too soon and having something negative happen. So he'll be hungry and ready to go next year. Uh, We also know now that they'll have the third pick in the draft. So uh, that's going to be an impact type of player they're going to be able to pick up. Uh, And and I do think that the, the, you know, the groundwork is there for a, uh, a new coach to come in and say, hey, we can, we can probably become pretty competitive pretty quickly. Uh, as long as we keep Andrew Luck healthy, they need to address the offensive line uh, and maybe get another playmaker uh, in the pass game to go along with T.Y. Hilton. Uh, but I, I think that it's a pretty attractive option when you consider all the ones that are open out there right now. Well, Steve, you know, me, unlike you know, other people, when I look at the coach's job, you know, I think it's, a, it's definitely – a job that any head coach will love because some of the things that you've laid out and just kind of looking at the quarterback position. Uh, I also look at Jacoby Brissett. I mean, he did a great job coming in on short notice, having to uh, go through all the terminology and be brought up to speed as far as everything going on with that offense. If you are a, a new guy looking to take this job over and knowing as though there may be some time before Andrew Luck is actually ready to resume his his duties as uh, the starting quarterback for this team. How much faith do you have watching watching the game yesterday and watching what you've seen thus far of Jacoby Brissett? Well, I, I had a chance to see uh, Jacoby a couple times this year. We, we had a couple of their games, uh, and, I, and I was very impressed. And everything you hear from uh, from the, the head coach, Chuck Pagano, who, who – 
um, obviously until today had that role, uh, or until, yeah, I guess it was today or yesterday, whatever it was. But the bottom line is that uh, everything you hear from the teammates, uh, from uh, uh, everybody within the organization is so positive about his overall leadership ability and uh, the way that he handled a, a very, very difficult situation uh, and, and came out of it really uh, establishing himself as a guy that can play in this league. And so I think the Colts come out of this year, sure, it was a very disappointing year, only winning four games. But uh, they do know going into 2018 that their quarterback position, barring some kind of a setback from from uh, Andrew Luck, which I don't think anybody expects at this point now that he's had all this time off, they now know that they have not only their franchise quarterback, but a quarterback that can step in and win games if he does need to play at all at any point. So uh, I think they will feel very secure about the quarterback position uh, first and foremost. Steve Berline of CBS Sports is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Steve, you played in Jacksonville years ago when they were the expansion Jags. How do you think Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone have changed the culture so much in one season to go from three wins to the playoffs? Well, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And, and I, I, I say that kind of sarcastically. You know, I, I don't know exactly what measures uh, the two of them took, but uh, when I was in Jacksonville for the first year of the franchise, I saw enough of Tom Coughlin to know the way that he runs his, his kingdom, so to speak. And uh, he and Doug Marone are 100% on the same page. They come from the, the same type of uh, uh, background philosophically in terms of what they believe uh, are the are the you know the most important uh, characteristics of a good football team? It starts with being a tough physical team up front on both sides. It starts with being able to uh, run the football and stop the run, uh, and then uh, protecting the football and creating turnovers. Those are really those are the three main points that, that Tom Coughlin always has emphasized, and uh, he doesn't settle for anything less if he thinks you're a liability. Um, and Doug Marone feels this way as well. They, they won't put you on the football field. And that's been one of the most impressive things with how they've handled Blake Bortles. I think they've, they've brought him along very, very uh, uh, carefully, uh, very smartly, and, and that really is going to be the key for them moving forward. Uh, you know, you're playing, they're playing a team in Buffalo this year that has gotten to the point that they are because – they have waited and capitalized on other teams making mistakes. And uh, they're not a team that's going to go out necessarily and beat you. Uh, they're going to wait for you to beat yourself. And, and if you make a mistake, they're going to make you pay. And so I think that's what it's going to come down for them this week uh, as far as Jacksonville is concerned. If, if Blake Bortles can protect the football and not revert back to the old Blake Bortles, uh, I think Buffalo is going to have a hard time beating Jacksonville because they're so solid up front on both sides of the ball. And, and that defense is playing at a uh, really a, a different level than any other, any other defense in the NFL right now. Uh, sure, we, we know that they got uh, beat up pretty good by the, by the 49ers a couple weeks ago, uh, but that happens every once in a while. The game plan, whatever it might have been, who knows. But everybody respects the Jaguars as being a top-notch defense across the board. So um, I, I just don't see Buffalo being able to hang with them as long as Blake Bortles doesn't keep them in the ball game. Steve, you played in the NFL a, a long time, and you've been to a couple of playoff games. And this Saturday night, you know, we're going to have an NFC matchup, the Rams against the Atlanta Falcons and Dan Quinn and Sean McVay. Uh, their teams can be, you know, they're polar opposite. You have Matt Ryan, who's a seasoned veteran, has a lot of playoff experience. And you have Jared Goff, that has no playoff experience. 
uh, kind of detail to and explain to our, our fan base, being as though you played in the NFL a long time at the quarterback position, how important is playing experience or is it not at all? Well, it's very important. Uh, I don't think there's, you, can, you can really overstate the fact that, that uh, playoff resume is, is significant. Uh, but, but we also have to remember that at some point, you know, guys like Tom Brady had zero experience too. And uh, so you have to start somewhere. And, and I think it's wrong to assume that, that somebody's going to be able to handle it or not handle it without giving them that opportunity. I, the Rams have been a very, very good football team all year. Jared Goff has made an incredible turnaround uh, due to the tutelage of Sean McVay and the things that he's done uh, to make that Rams football team one of the best teams in the league. Uh, but, but I do think that when you're, when you're going up against uh, a team as seasoned as the Atlanta Falcons are and, and a team that really – you know, uh, should have won the Super Bowl last year, and and this year had to fight and scratch and claw their way into the playoffs. Uh, they haven't taken a break at all this year. They're they're maybe not as impressive offensively as they were last year, but they're playing very good complementary football: offense, defense, and special teams. And uh, I just think you you're going to have to go out and beat that football team. They're not going to beat themselves. Uh, they are they are more than seasoned enough to go out and. Uh, put as many points on the board as they need to to win a football game. So I, I really, I, I'm leaning toward picking the, the Atlanta Falcons in that ball game, uh, even though I really am impressed with everything that's going on with the Los Angeles Rams. I think the experience factor is going to work in the Falcons' favor, though. Rams with just six players on the roster who have ever competed in the postseason game. Steve, great information as always. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys, anytime. Glad to do it. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, the Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time to spotlight the coaches who have been let go and other names who could be moving on. Let's go through the coaching news one mild positive surprise. Good to get some good news on what we call metaphorically Black Monday in Denver. John Elway announced first-year head coach Vance Joseph is keeping his job after speculation. He might be pushed out. Marvin Lewis would not make an official today meeting with the media that he's going to step down, but did indicate he's going to meet with owner Mike Brown to discuss his future. Bruce Arians has retired in Arizona. The Lions have fired Jim Caldwell. The Bears have fired John Fox last night. The Colts fired Chuck Pagano. And the Raiders let go Jack Del Rio. Last year, Oakland went 12-4, and made it to the playoffs this year, heightened expectations, and they did not live up to the perception this team might be in the Super Bowl conversation, merely 6-10. and 10. So within minutes of the Raiders losing 
in Carson, California, to the L.A. Chargers. Del Rio was told he was no longer head coach by the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis. And then strangely, it was Del Rio who made the announcement to the media in Southern California. I spoke with Mark Davis after the game, and Mark let me know that he's not going to be bringing me back. And so um, he told me, loved me and appreciated all that I did to, to, you know, to kind of get this program going the right direction, uh, but that he felt the need to change. I told him how much uh, I appreciated the opportunity he gave me. And um, I mean that. Very grateful. My childhood team. But uh, it's a results business. I understand that. Now let's hear from the Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr, weighing in on the coaching change. Um, it hurts. Um, you know, we weren't good enough for him. Uh, you know, we have to take our ownership as players, and I think that you know that's where we're at right now. Is uh, you know we're kind of angry that we let it get to that. You know, we're, we're upset uh, at ourselves. We understand the business part of it, um, uh, but as players, you know, uh, our job is to come back better and hungry. Nick, we'll talk about all of the informed speculation that John Gruden will be departing the Monday Night Football booth, although he's got one more game to call coming up on Wild Card Weekend. He'll be broadcasting the matchup between the Chiefs and the Titans. That is the Saturday early game. We'll talk plenty of Gruden coming up when we're joined by Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Let's just start with the optics and the mechanics of how Del Rio found out, and then he told the media he was no longer head coach. We know football can be a brutal business, but doesn't that strike you? At least it strikes me. I'd like your confirmation, or you can go the other way. Has it been unseemly how the Raiders handled that yesterday in L.A.? No. Uh, being the fact that I played in the NFL a decade, I have uh, seen so many things, and I'm not surprised. I've seen guys who were running on a treadmill and did not find out that they were either released or traded, or they, they did by watching the NFL Uh, ESPN ticker. So I'm not surprised by any of this, but uh, the biggest thing uh, that definitely surprises me is the fact that Del Rio is out. Uh, Like you mentioned before, you look at how well the team played last year. Uh, Tough break, no pun intended, for Derek Carr, who had seemingly had the Raiders on a championship run. He goes out, changes the total complexity of the game for them. They have to walk into Houston with a backup quarterback being overwhelmed. Houston wins that game even with uh, a Brock Osweiler on the center. And now, you know, Jack Del Rio is out. This whole thing of the Oakland Raiders going to Vegas, you needed, a, 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 I guess, a guy with some championship pedigree at the at the helm. And you, I thought that was going to be Jack Del Rio. But lo and behold, how things have changed. And I know over the years we've heard uh, so many people talk about John Gruden, uh, he won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming out of the boot with ESPN. And he's like, no, no, when you listen to the telecast, well, you know, I love coaching. I love doing what I what I do, but uh, I'm going to stay right here. And it seemed like every time there's talk about and conversation about Gruden, uh, I guess the salary for him at ESPN is now elevated. But it just seemed as though the Raiders organization gave him an offer that he couldn't refuse and now, you know, Jack Del Rio is out and possibly, you know, John, John Gruden is, is, is in. So uh, to me, if you, if you are Jack Del Rio, if you are players in the Raiders organization and, you, and you're seeing how this thing has, you know, unfolded, and I don't believe any of them predicted that this would actually happen. I mean, you know, today is a dark day for a lot of coaches in the NFL, but we knew that certain guys were going to get fired. Jack Del Rio being on that list – 
not so much. You bring in Marshawn Lynch, you have a very talented offensive line. You know, everyone thought they were going to get to back to uh, the playoffs, maybe even the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Crabtree but was performing well. Amari Cooper, not so much. So when I really look at this, when I look at Mark Davis' decision, when I look at Reggie McKenzie, how much of this decision to fire Jack Del Rio, you know, when you really look at it, was all on Jack Del Rio? I, I, this is one I just don't understand. Well, let's walk through the chronology. Last weekend prior to a debacle on the road in Philadelphia on Christmas night, Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, put it out there that it was only a 50-50 proposition Del Rio would keep his job. And the timing was interesting because if we think about what happened a year ago, Del Rio was beloved. He was acclaimed for going for two on the road in New Orleans. He mentioned this was the team that he grew up rooting for as a kid in the San Francisco Bay Area. Raiders were perceived to be a team on the rise. He got a contract extension. Now, we'll talk about this when we get to Jim Caldwell as well. Unless you know the details, that can be much ado about nothing because it might have been one more guaranteed year. Still, it felt like Del Rio at a minimum would be the bridge head coach to get the Raiders to Nevada in 2020. But I think that's a huge part of the Desire to get John Gruden, and we'll go through all the pros and cons coming up. One more thought on how the firing of Del Rio was handled. And maybe I'm sensitive to this because in our business, Nick, it's a lot like professional sports. You're hired to be fired. So we all go through it with too much frequency. You don't want to become numb and detached. To me, they could have waited until after the game. Del Rio gets up and says, I'm the head coach until I'm told otherwise. You get on the plane, you go back to the facility, and you handle it there. To have him wandering through the hallways of a soccer stadium in Southern California, followed by the media, to me, lacked the human touch. Now, you could argue it was better to be blunt, be direct. If you have bad news, give it out in real time. But I think the Raiders should have handled this differently, and maybe I'm being too sensitive here. No, you're you're not being, you know, too sensitive. Here's what, you know, being involved in this business that we're in, whether it's uh, broadcasting or NFL, you know, everyone likes to call it a business, but they don't usually uh, operate in kind of the regular traditional business ways. Uh, You know, we've seen things like this happen with some, you know, marquee players uh, in in the past. I mean, I I bring up, you know, Johnny Unitas. uh, uh, You talk about... Peyton Manning. Right. Joe, Joe Namath wound up his career playing for the Rams. Exactly. We know that endings are ugly, and it was building towards this. So the move certainly justifiable, even if you couldn't get Gruden, because this team is moving in the wrong direction. Plus, they got to think about Nevada. They have personal seat license to sell soon, because that glittering new stadium comes online in 2020. So from a business standpoint, the move is completely justifiable. And now let's just connect the dots, Nick. They wouldn't fire Del Rio unless they thought it was 99% done. They're getting Gruden, right? Well, yeah, that, that's the idea. And I know Gruden, you know, lives in Tampa. He's uh, definitely, like I said before, he won the championship with, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I know he's waiting for his last uh, kid to graduate before he decided to take on any coaching jobs. And for me, what, what made the Oakland job pretty much you know, put it in play was the fact that Tampa didn't want to give Gruden exactly what he wanted coming out of the booth. And that was a portion of the ownership. Apparently, Mark Davis was willing to give Gruden just that. And that's how this marriage was able to get back back together. And the only question I, and I raise, and, and, I, and I just kind of piggyback off what you're saying, is that, 
yeah, you're going to Las Vegas. You need to be able to sell tickets to that fan base and really fire them up. So who's to say that Gruden comes in, they don't have another subpar season, and then where are you then? I mean, now you're saying, well, could we see a repeat of what John Gruden has done when Tampa Bay taking Tony Dungy's team, you know, all his personnel taking them back to the Super Bowl. If he were to do that, now when you look back, if you're a Raiders fan and say, well, Jack Del Rio was in the building. Both he and Reggie McKenzie had a hand in putting this club together. So if Gruden comes in and wins with this team, well, shouldn't we, you know, pat Jack, Jack Del Rio on the back like Jeff Fisher's packet, patting himself on the back for <laughs> Sean McVay and what he's doing here at the Los Angeles Rams? Shouldn't that be the same thing? Interesting. And the dynamics from a personal level are fascinating. Now, we're going to talk about this when we connect with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Nick, it gets a little bit murky to talk about how a contract needs to be improved upon to sweeten an offer year by year because every coaching cycle we've heard, Gruden wants back in, suddenly gets another extension from ESPN, he stays in the booth. We knew that was unlikely to happen this year. ESPN's still printing money, but their margins are getting squeezed because you young people listening here on TuneIn, that's our key demo, you're not watching TV anymore, I'm told. So cord cutting is real. ESPN is laying off hundreds of employees, and according to reports, Gruden is their highest paid on-air performer. So no more leverage play. If he actually wants the job, I think he's going to take it. But the kicker, as you mentioned this time, is equity, piece of the team. It's only happened once before in the modern history of the NFL when Vince Lombardi came out of retirement to join the Washington Redskins. He got a small piece of the team as well. That move, Nick, has to be approved by NFL owners. I'm not saying they're going to block Gruden for any reason, but the presumption that just because Mark Davis wants to get it done, I think is premature because I don't know that the other 31 ownership groups around the league want to set this precedent because the next big name that comes up is going to say, I want the Gruden deal. How many owners are going to say, sure, here's a chunk of my profits. You get it. I'm going to give you a piece of the team. I just say stay tuned to see if Gruden actually gets the equity stake. Right now, this feels like a little bit of where we are early in the negotiation. Well, you know, I'll say this. Here's what we don't know. Uh, We know that, you know, what's on the table is a a portion of the franchise. We don't know what percentage, majority share. We we have no idea. No, it's obviously very small, but it's a license to print money because everybody who owns a piece of an NFL team is doing just fine financially. Yeah, but now, if I'm not mistaken, I could be down in with the Miami Dolphins. There are a couple of celebrities that have a, a, a stake. Right, Gloria in, Stefan, exactly. the Williams Serena, sisters, and exactly. they, they were approved. And I'm not saying Gruden would be blocked. I'm just saying other owners might say, behind closed doors, do we really want head coaches having a little bit of a piece of the team because – how do you fire John Gruden if he's a quote-unquote co-owner? Well, I think that was something that would be negotiated into the contract. Say, hey, listen, if, here's our window. We have a three- to four-year window. In that time, if we feel as though you're not performing well, then we're going to part ways. And as a part owner, you have to now pull yourself away from, a, from the coach's perspective and be an owner and say, listen, as a part owner, I feel as though judging yourself – which sounds pretty wild, that I'm not getting the job done. So I, the, the best interest that I have is for the team. And if that means that I need to step aside, let someone on my coaching staff be the interim coach while we find someone else and, and take part in finding another coach to fill that void, then you have to do that. I think that is going to go into the contract so Gruden actually knows and everyone else involved 
what they are actually agreeing to. And I think the owners of the NFL will be willing to accept the contract and Gruden being uh, having a portion of the Raiders if that language is in the contract. Okay, just one more thing to follow, Egg, because Raider fans are euphoric. They think it's the restoration of glory and the return to excellence. And I'll give you my bias. When I was doing local TV and radio in San Francisco for years, I covered the Raiders on a daily basis while Gruden was the head coach. And, Nick, you know how electrifying a presence he can be. I think a lot of it comes down to the Chucky snarl. But beyond that, (laughs) just from a standpoint of – being a offensive innovator, we know what he meant to Rich Gannon, who had bounced around the league. And according to reports, Gannon might leave CBS and join Gruden as a member of the coaching staff. That's something to also keep an eye on. But if Gruden was that successful, and this was years ago, and the league obviously has had an evolution when it comes to offensive play calling as well. But if Gruden was that successful with Gannon, who was a journeyman prior to getting a full-time starting opportunity from Gruden in Oakland, won an MVP award. Nick, how effective do you think he can be with Derek Carr, who has regressed to a degree this year, in part because of the back injury, and also he's just given the ball away with way too many turnovers? Well, when you look at Derek Carr and his lack of success uh, this season, you just mentioned the fact of the back injury. You have to look and see, well, how much did that play a factor in his lack of production? But also, I look at the offensive line. The offensive line last year was supposed to be one of the top-rated offensive lines in uh, the NFL. And coming into this season with adding Marshawn Lynch, we all thought that things were going to be different. So if you are Gruden, say, okay, well, yes, Rich Gannon, you've had success with Rich Gannon, but Rich, you know, Nothing against him, but he doesn't have the talent that Derek Carr possessed. So now he doesn't have to worry about the quarterback position. Now he has to worry about all the other position. Now trying to get Amari Cooper back on pace. Now it appears as though the Raiders are going to move away from Michael Crabtree, so now you have to go out and draft another wide receiver opposite Amari Cooper, or you have to look to add a veteran in free agency. And then now the defensive side of the ball. And you have to take remember this. Now when Gruden won a championship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they did a couple of things well. One of them, they turned the ball over and they scored points on the defensive side of the ball. The Raiders' defense did not have its first interception until late in the season. So we're looking at a Raiders team and say, well, if Gruden comes in, he wants to put his fingerprint on his team, don't worry about the quarterback position. That that position is fine. Now we have to look at the defensive side. You know, Khalil Mack, Bruce Irvin, trying to get the guys in the back end to play sort of like they played aggressive, downing, downhill, in-your-face defense like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They do have the personnel, but now you have to bring in a coaching staff. That's so important because you need players and you have scheme. When those two things come together, then you definitely have success. But one of the biggest things that he's going to have to do, and we don't really know what's going to happen with Marshawn Lynch, is he going to say, you know what, I came back, I tried to revitalize and kind of rev up and inspire this fan base. It did not work out for us this season, but I think – a guy like Gruden can convince Marshawn Lynch to stay okay. another season. Do you need and Marshawn now- Lynch? Because I think Gruden now plays that role. In part, I think the motivation to sign Lynch was to galvanize the community. Oakland native, hey, stay with us. We're not going to Nevada today, tomorrow. It's 2020. I think it may be, again, this is my bias, covering the team and doing shows on the Raider pregame for their 
Radio Network. I think the return of Gruden would play that role of community ambassador as much as Marshawn Lynch has been playing. At some point in this first hour of the program, we're going to connect with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, who's been all over his TV duties. He's Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety in for Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber, live on this Black Monday. It's NFL No Huddle on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's turn our attention to Arizona, where Bruce Arians officially retires the head coach of the Cardinals. We built this program on three words. Uh, Trust, loyalty, and respect. I told our team last night I was done. Uh, I'm retiring. <laughs> Excuse me. And they lied to you because of that. And there's no greater feeling in the world than to know your players have your back. It's been a great ride. I told you before, there will be reasons. Uh, family is a big one. And uh, I will miss the game. I'll actually miss you guys. Hell, I might be on your side. I don't know. But uh, it's, it's been a great ride. I can't thank Michael enough for giving me this opportunity. I can't thank our coaching staff enough. What they did in the last eight weeks is just absolutely amazing. I probably truly didn't know till that kick went through that I was going to retire. Talking about the conclusion to that wild game yesterday in Seattle, Cardinals and the Seahawks, Arizona, wrapping up Bruce Arians' head coaching tenure with a win on the road in the state of Washington. Nick, there was speculation a year ago Bruce Arians might step down, well-documented health concerns. Think about his football odyssey. Other than a brief tenure as the head coach of the Temple Owls, his entire career he was perceived to be one of the most gifted coordinators. You know about the success he had calling plays at Pittsburgh. Wound up in Indianapolis with Chuck Pagano as the offensive coordinator. Chuck, unfortunately, dealing with his own health concerns, diagnosed with leukemia. Arian steps in, wins Coach of the Year honors in Indianapolis, finally gets a shot in Arizona, and he's able to cap his career with a great run as a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, you know, it was great. Uh, to see that that interview, uh, and when you listen to it and you even watch it, you you see everything you just described. You see a passion of a head coach uh, who has spent uh, so many years in the NFL, and even though he hadn't had that many uh, opportunities to be a head coach, his players loved it, and that's one thing you want to do as a head coach because when your guys go out there and play, and more importantly when they're behind. Are we pay, playing for ourselves? Are we playing for our families, our paychecks? Uh, are we playing for our coach? And you saw that yesterday when, uh, you know, his guys went out there and played for him in Seattle. He said uh, coming into that game, and it was kind of bulletin board material, at least I thought it was, and what inspired the Seattle Seahawks, that they own the Seahawks. Playing in Seattle is like a home game uh, for the Arizona Cardinals, and they and they definitely uh, play that way. But you know, coaching does take a toll on the coach himself, his his family. Everyone has to be all in. And you just heard him say that, you know, there's a lot of things that factor into his decision to leave the game. Family happens to be one of them. But you know, watching him as a coach, very passionate, and like he said, he's not going to be too far away from the game. I mean, he, he's probably going to go into broadcasting, whether it's television or radio. But but after you spend so much time 
you know, investing so much time in the players and schemes. It's, it's hard to just, just walk away cold turkey. That, that's very difficult. But I know whatever Bruce Arians does in his post-NFL career, he's going to be spectacular at it. I bet you're going to see that Kangol on a TV near you because <laughs> Bruce has got a lot of personality. He'll be gifted as a communicator in our business. Nick, beyond the allure of living and working in Arizona, certainly sounds good. January 1st, if you're listening in Wisconsin or on the East Coast with the brutal weather. Beyond geography, let's talk about the football desirability of that opening. Now, very quietly, for all the people who want to hand Todd Gurley the MVP award, and I think he's going to be the runner-up to Tom Brady. We'll talk about that more coming up in hour number two of the program. Take a look at David Johnson's numbers last year compared to Gurley this year. Almost identical. So when he gets healthy, you have a franchise running back, but this league, of course, all about quarterback play. Carson Palmer is in radical decline. He's in the shadow of his career. And contrast what's going on elsewhere around that division. Got to match up with Russell Wilson twice a year. Still relatively young. I think he's going to be in the top three of the final MVP ballot. You got a star in the making in Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. And suddenly Jared Goff can play football because he's being coached by Sean McVay in L.A. So as you sum up the situation and the division, how attractive is that opening in Arizona? It's really attractive. Uh, You just look at where uh, the team is centrally located. You have a loyal fan base. Uh, management seem to want to do the right things as far as putting the personnel on the field uh, to help the coach be successful. Look at what they've done for Bruce Aarons and bringing guys in both drafting and signing veterans uh, to make that team so much more competitive. But the, the biggest issue for the guy coming in, and this is for any head coach or guys thinking about taking over any of these vacancies, you have to now talk to the management and try to figure out what's the long-term goal for, for the team. You have to look at some of the veterans on this Arizona Cardinals roster, uh, Larry Fitzgerald being one of those guys. You would love to keep him uh, around to be that elder statesman in a locker room. We, we've seen him have a lot of success this season, not playing outside the numbers as though we've grown accustomed to, but putting him in a slot. But the biggest issue for this team is at the quarterback position. Who's going to be your quarterback? I mean, you know, Carson Palmer went down. We know that he's been a shell of himself since leaving the Cincinnati Bengals uh, years ago. But your guys on your roster right now, Blaine Gabbert, Drew Stan, who beat the Seattle Seahawks, and, and Matt Barkley. None of these guys really strike fear in either teams in a division or outside of division. So they have to go ahead and solidify that position. But, you know, having a great running back uh, – to go with whatever quarterback you have, that that's definitely important. And you have one of the best in the league. So if you're a coach and you're looking at this Arizona job, it, it does look uh, definitely appealing because you have great talent on the defensive side of the ball. Well, yeah, I think you, that's the key, right? Honey well, yes. Badger, Patrick Peterson, and Chandler Jones very quietly had a breakout year. Exactly. Saying you left. The only problem that I, I, I see with this organization is you allow Calias uh, Campbell to leave the team and go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Other than that, you have a core group of guys already in place. And, and that, that's kind of the, the philosophy when you come in and, you know, with the NFL, you want to be able to play great defense. You want to be able to run the ball. 
those things are in place. All you have to do now is solidify the quarterback position. There's going to be several veteran quarterbacks that are going to be out there who are going to be out of jobs. And now you can look at maybe Alex Smith or A.J. McCarron from the Cincinnati Bengals, maybe try to plug and play and put one of these guys in position and then go out and draft maybe another running back because I don't believe that you know Adrian Peterson will be back with the Arizona Cardinals after his short little stint with them, and then put some young wide receivers outside that can actually make plays and that complement, you know, what Larry Fitzgerald can do for you at the wide receiver position. At some point during our three hours together, we will connect with Ian Rappaport. Understandably busy day on NFL Network. If you've been watching their outstanding coverage, you know Ian's been all over their comprehensive analysis of the breaking news across the league we got to address what happened in Indy last night. No surprise, Chuck Pagano relieved of his duties. If you believe that Andrew Luck's going to be 100% coming back from the lingering shoulder issue, how attractive is that job? Plus, did Jim Caldwell get a raw deal from the Lions? He was fired today after going 9-7. and seven. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites. We've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John. S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Let's welcome in former NFL linebacker Stephen Tulloch. Stephen, Happy New Year. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good to yourself. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Stephen. You know, I want, here's what I want to talk about. You know, when individuals see football players, they always say that guys are just playing for the check, whatever team that they play for. We just watched Bruce Aarons retire, and he was very emotional in his uh, post-game interview with uh, a lot of the media there. Uh, for uh, our listeners who don't know, who've never had an opportunity or don't know anyone who played in the league, how difficult is it when it is time to retire after playing so long in the NFL, what is that like? Oh man, it's it's a it's a feeling that uh, it's hard to kind of put into words. You know, for myself, I can speak for myself. And I haven't played football since I was five years old. Uh, Twenty-seven years of football uh, for me, it was just time. You know, it, it was it's, you know you know your body, you know your mind. You know, when training isn't as easy as it used to be, when you know recovery isn't as easy you know as easy as it used to be. You kind of just prepare yourself, and uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I had an opportunity to play 11 years. So you know, around year 10, you know, I kind of got my mind right to know that you know what, you know, it's time to transition and start preparing for, for transition, and it worked out for me in the fact that you know I was able to leave Detroit, go to Philadelphia, and you know, kind of prepare, knowing that that had been my last year. So you know, like I said, if you, if you don't have time to prepare for it, it's going to be a lot tougher. Uh, but I had time to prepare, so it worked out for me. Stephen, I've read you're still active with the Lions attending alumni events. So, what'd you make of the news we found out today? The team parting ways with Jim Caldwell. Uh, first and foremost, you know, Caldwell to me is one of the greatest men uh, I've ever had the opportunity to coach me. You know, from a standpoint of, of teaching you how to conduct yourself, you know, uh, leadership, um, you know, just all around great person and, and someone 
I can speak on behalf of the team, not even being there anymore. Uh, everyone respects from front office all the way around. Uh, just an amazing man, and I'm fortunate that things are going to work out. You know, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a it's a cutthroat business. It's a win win or go home kind of business, and uh, things just didn't work out. You know, particularly the way that you know he anticipated the working out, and I know who he is as a person. And he'll he'll bounce back on his feet and do what makes him uh, makes him happy. Steven, two of your former teams are in the playoff. The, the Eagles have a first-round bye, but the Tennessee Titans will face uh, the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. When you look at this matchup, how can the Tennessee Titans make sure that their playoff hopes continue against a team that has been playing well, especially with Alex Smith at the helm? Well, that, that, that's a question that, uh, you know, obviously Tennessee hasn't been in the playoffs since I was there in 2009. So it's good for them to be back in the playoffs. But I think just like you said, uh, it's going to be up to that defensive line, you know, Morgan and Rappo to get after those guys up front. You know, if you can <clears throat> get after Alex uh, early and, and, and slow down that running game, you know, you give you give a chance and the Mariota a chance to kind of get down the field and do, do what he does. And, and uh, it's just good to see them back in the playoffs. I know they're excited about it. But going out to uh, Kansas City is going to be a tough, tough feat. But uh, one that I know they'll be ready to try to handle. Steven Tulloch is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Steven, you played for Jim Schwartz both in Detroit and Philadelphia. His name has now come up as openings across the league have developed. And, of course, I think he'd be interested in being a head coach again. What makes Jim Schwartz such an effective coach? Uh, Jim Schwartz, to me, uh, you know, gave me an opportunity 11 years ago to, to start my career. I had an opportunity to actually fly out to to Philadelphia for Christmas, you know, surprise him, just, you know, showing them respect that he gave me uh, to be able to play this game a long time, you know, surprising for the game. I think he's ready. You know, I had a couple of talks with him uh, this offseason uh, about, you know, the next step and, uh, you know, him, you know, having an opportunity again to be a head coach. I think he, he understands what it takes. He he understands, uh, obviously, the people's minor coach, one of the best people's minor coaches in the league, but, you know, he understands what it takes to run a team and, and to put guys in position to succeed. Uh, I think he's doing a great job in Philly from the standpoint of bringing a defense that was in the bottom of the <clears throat> bottom of the line a couple of years and, and bringing them back up to the top. So I think whoever gets him will get a good coach, a coach that understands uh, his personnel, his players, and is a player's coach, which is always good to have. Stephen, like you said earlier, that uh, this uh, Titans team uh, are returning to back to the playoffs, and they hadn't been there since you were a member uh, of the ball club, and knowing as though. Uh, careers in this in the NFL for players and coaches, or that window uh, can open and close really quickly. Uh, describe the playoff atmosphere and what players need to do, especially if you know that you're going into your first playoff of, of the season. Uh, first and foremost, take care of your body. Got to take care of your body. You know, this is this is the time where you know it's when I go home, uh, everything's on the line, and your body has to be right. Your mind has to be right. You know, you got to leave your personal stuff behind at home, whatever you got going on, and just zone in for the next couple of weeks. But it's very hard to get there. You know, it's very hard to get to the playoffs, as you and I know. And, uh, you know, the fact that they're there, you know, they're one step closer to their goal. You know, they haven't been, you know, <laughs> you know Tennessee hasn't really, you know, been in the playoffs, you know, of late. So I know they're itching to get back. I know the, the city of uh, Nashville is itching for them to get back, and it'll be good to. Uh, them perform as we can. We're chatting with Stephen Tulloch. You mentioned your connection to the Eagles. We know that you don't just replace a player like Carson Wentz, who could have been the MVP before getting hurt, but do you think Nick Foles can hold this offense together in the playoffs? I do. I think I think the team is set up uh, you know, for a game-managing kind of quarterback. I think the offense aligns a fantastic job. 
you know, led by Brooks at the at the tackle at the guard position and Johnson at the, the right tackle position. I think that you know offensive line is very strong and uh, you know, their defense is strong. You know, whenever you have championship type defense, you, you're always going to have a chance. You, you and I know in the playoffs it's all about the defense. So the defense keep the points down and Foles can manage the game. I think this team uh, has the opportunity to go as far as they want to go. Steven, you know, there's been a lot of rules changes in the NFL uh, since both you and I played. Uh, one that they've uh, invoked this year and allowed players to celebrate now more so than they've allowed to celebrate in years past. And I'm sure you've had a chance to look at some of these celebration dances. Uh, which ones stick out to you? Is like, you know, I, I love that team celebration. And are there any others that say, well, you know what? These guys should have just melded in and just decided not to celebrate at all. I think it's cool. I think it brings a lot of excitement to the game. I think the fans pay for entertainment, right? So to see a guy score, you know, in anticipation of watching what's what's next after the score, it gives a lot of a lot more excitement uh, excitement to the lead and to the game. And I think guys are, are having fun with it. You know, implementing their teammates involved in the, in the celebrations. The old linemen are doing, you know, slamming, spiking the ball, and you know, it's just fun to watch to be able to see the you know the game you know evolve and and kind of let let guys be themselves and let the fans uh, enjoy it. Even we try to focus on the positive on this program. So what should our audience know about your Stephen Tulloch Foundation? And I'll give out the website because you're doing tremendous work. Tulloch55.com. Tell us about your children's book and your commitment to building schools in Jamaica. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I wrote my kid's book a couple couple years ago, which has been fantastic. I had an opportunity to go down to my mom's hometown in Jamaica where she was born and uh, was able to build a school down there for, for kids age three to seven years old, a nice big school for those kids. And, and uh, right now we're in the process of, you know, trying to build another one. You know, we want to build another one in Jamaica here soon and kind of putting a plan together. But um, for me, it's about a legacy, you know, uh, leaving something behind bigger than the game of football and, and something that money can't buy. You know, that's education and the opportunity for kids to, to grow mentally and, and have opportunity to, you know, to live their dreams. And, and that's what I'm kind of gearing towards now that I'm retired. Even we appreciate the information. Thank you so much for starting off the new year with us here on the NFL on TuneIn. I appreciate it. You guys have a good one. Happy New Year. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast as NFL Network Insider and NFL on TuneIn contributor Ian Rappaport joins us. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, we know it's an extremely busy day for you, so we appreciate you taking the time. It feels like every year on Black Monday, there is at least one major surprise firing. Are we missing that this year, or could it still happen? Well, uh, at this point, it has not happened yet, and I think there's still a couple uh, jobs still in doubt. I mean, it sounds like uh, John Harbaugh with the Ravens is safe. Sounds like Bill O'Brien with the Texans is safe. Uh, my understanding is Mike Malarkey with the Titans is not safe, not even that he 
made the playoffs, so potentially that could be the surprise kind of down the road, see what happens in the playoffs there. If they win a game, I would think he's probably okay, but uh, I know there's a lot of angst and frustration in that building, especially when you consider the direction that Marcus Mariota took this year. Um, so that that would probably be the uh, that would probably be the one to look at if you're wondering about a surprise. In every year, there's about five or six coaching vacancies that take place in the NFL, and we always hear about this uh, whole uh, thing of trying to nurture and get these coaches to take these jobs. As far as the interview process uh, takes place, what really goes into uh, the the process and the criteria when teams are looking? for head coaches, whether it's an offensive-minded coach or a defensive-minded coach? Well, you know, I'd like to tell you that there's a well-thought-out plan from a lot of these teams that know in advance they're making head coaching hires. Uh, that, is not the, that is not the reality, unfortunately. So you have teams like, you know, the Bears have known they were going to have an opening. The Colts have known they were going to have an opening. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily looking for one or the other. I mean, I think the Bears are looking for an offensive head coach. They're still going to talk to Steve Wilkes, the Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator. The, the Lions, I believe, are looking for a defensive-minded head coach to keep the offensive side of the ball in, in place. They're still going to interview Pat Shermer, the Vikings offensive coordinator. So, um, you know, the Cardinals are basically going to interview everyone. Uh, so uh, I think there's, there's you'd think there'd be more of a rhyme or reason to it, but the reality is there really isn't. Chatting with our NFL insider and NFL on TuneIn contributor Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, if John Gruden actually takes the Raiders' job, what could that mean for current GM Reggie McKenzie? I would be surprised based on what I know if Reggie McKenzie is in trouble. Now, they do have a relationship. They they do have share some of the same ties to Green Bay. Uh, I believe that Gruden has a lot of respect for Reggie McKenzie. So, you know, my understanding is uh, that that Reggie McKenzie is expected to be safe, as he should be, because, you know, was basically GM of the year last year, has done a fantastic job building this roster, got a ton of talent. Um, I, I don't – he shouldn't be in trouble, and I don't believe he is in trouble. And the Rooney rule is put in place to give minority coaches an opportunity to get interviews, but it doesn't say that those individuals – definitely receive jobs with John Gruden in his situation and having the Raiders go through that. Can they avoid the whole Rooney rule and just go outright hire John Gruden? Or this is a point where the Rooney rule would definitely come into effect. Uh, if they want to get fined $500,000, they can avoid it or, you know, more. Uh, but no, they're going to interview a minority candidate. I would expect them to interview multiple minority candidates. Um, in part because, first of all, they have to. Second of all, uh, I think this Gruden thing is going to take a while, you know, because he, he seems committed to doing his game uh, on ESPN. The Who is it? The Titans and the Chiefs, I believe, is the game. Yeah, that's the game coming uh, up on Saturday. Right. So he's doing that game. He's going to be in the booth. Now, will Andy Reid allow him to practice? I don't know. Uh, but he's going to be doing that game. So, um yeah, I mean, I think he's going to complete that and then go to the Raiders after that. So um, it's going to take some time, and, and I think the Raiders will use it. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, what head coaching jobs can we anticipate hearing Patriot offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, who has previous head coaching experience in Denver, being connected to this year? Uh, a couple we know. The Colts are one and the Giants are another. 
Um, so those are those are two of the ones right now to keep an eye on. If Tennessee was open, I would expect him to get a very long look there. And you know, both the the Colts job is intriguing because you got Andrew Luck, and the Giants job is intriguing because it's the Giants. And you know, I don't know which is the top top job this year. Some good ones, definitely some good ones. The Giants organization is one that I know a lot of people want to work for. Um, so I would say you know he's he's definitely got a good shot there. Well, we know Jim Caldwell is out in Detroit, and there's been a lot of talk about you know Bob Quinn going and dipping back into that New England pool and maybe bringing over defensive coordinator Matt Patricia to go ahead and take over the court the head coaching duties. What are the possibilities of Jim Bob Cooter staying on as an offensive coordinator? I believe very good. Um, I believe that is what everybody wants to happen. And it's not like they're going to be soliciting you know, advice from players, but they believe in Jim Bob Cooter as a guy who works with Stafford and, and an offensive coordinator. They do not believe in the running game. They have fired Ron Prince, who's basically the run game coordinator there. So you're going to take a hard look at that position. Um, but they, they like the direction the offense is going. So I would be very, very surprised if Jim Bob Cooter was on his way out. Ian, great information as always. Thank you for finding the time to chat with us today. Look forward to having another conversation with you on Wednesday on the NFL on TuneIn. All right. Thanks, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on the postseason matchups coming up on Wild Card Weekend. The NFC games coming up. A year ago, Atlanta won 11 games, made it to the Super Bowl. This year, they wrapped up the regular season with a 10-6 and mark. They got a lot of help from Cam Newton. Not a great homecoming for the Atlanta native. Three interceptions yesterday. Atlanta clinched a wild card, getting set for a short week. They're heading to L.A. to take on the Rams Saturday night. Here's Falcon head coach Dan Quinn. As a group, this toughness, this brotherhood that they have, it's it's alive, it's real, and uh, they've got stuff to prove. But once we're in, it's just for this week. And uh, so I've heard just that we're going to play out, you know, at Los Angeles, and uh, that's the fight that we're in, that's the fight that matters. And uh, we'll be completely 100% ready to ball. Nick, I hate to be this simplistic, but I got to keep it straightforward. I'm sure, you know, like you and I were out at the club until, what, 3 o'clock last night? Because New Year's <laughs> Eve, so I'm easing into the show. Is it too reductionist just to say this game might come down to which version of Matt Ryan shows up? Because if he gives it away more than once, I don't think the Falcons have any chance on the road in L.A. Yeah, it definitely comes down to, you know, the play of the quarterback position, especially when you get two teams who are capable of putting up a massive amount of points. If you look at a five-game breakdown of Matt Ryan, his production on the field. And we're talking about, you know, going in, going into from the 50 and inside the red zone is where, as a quarterback, you make your money. Four touchdowns, four interceptions. That That's not going to get it done against a Rams team who set 
Aaron Donald this past Sunday uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. So he's going to be fresh and ready to get after Matt Ryan. When he's turning the ball over, this team has no chance. And here's another thing you have to consider. You know, it's not like you're going to get a week of rest and get some of the guys that are banged up on the offensive line and at the wide receiver position healthy. You now have to go in, well, I'm going to call a short week, and now you have to come and fly to Los Angeles and play a Rams team that's going to be ready to play inspired football, and you're talking about Julio Jones. Watching him yesterday try to gut it out. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Julio Jones, but he's one of their best wide receivers, and he's banged up. He's been dealing with ankle and foot injuries the entire season, so you have to wonder, will he be able to separate down the field and give Matt Ryan those splash play opportunities, and I don't think that's going to happen. Good thing I didn't go to law school because I'm about to commit a faux pas. I'm told they instruct the JDs in the making, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. But you and I are friends. It's just a talk show. Did you actually play in the postseason? How many playoff games did your teams get to? Well, you know, fortunate for me and in my 10 years in the NFL, I've had the opportunity to play in a lot of meaningful uh, playoff games. I won uh, AFC East Championship uh, Division Championship with the New York Jets. I won out in the West with the Denver Broncos as well. And uh, I've had my losses, too, in the playoffs. And a lot of guys play, you know, you know, six years, 12 years, never get that opportunity. I was four quarters, 60 minutes away from playing in a Super Bowl when we lost to a sixth seed in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, so I understand the mentality of what goes into playing in the playoffs. And not too many people, not too many teams, rather, get those opportunities. So it's about handling your business, you know, during the season to make sure that You either get one of those uh, seeds or you get that first round by and you get a host, maybe one or two playoff games in your own place. And I actually had that opportunity as a member of the Denver Broncos. So now we're at at a point in the season where it's a a, a one game season. You know, you can't think about the next game after that, who your next opponent is. It's about thinking who's in front of you right now for these Atlanta Falcons and these Los Angeles Rams. You know, everything that you've done throughout the season, you want to throw it out the window. Because the only thing that people are going to remember what you do this Saturday or Sunday when you play in either of these games. reason I asked your playoff resume, and thank you from not making me Google anymore, <laughs> what is the importance of playoff experience? Because here's one of the merits, one of the only negatives attached to the Rams. They only have six players on the entire roster who have any playoff experience whatsoever. That's the smallest tally in all of football. Well, see, when you look at it, there are pros and cons to both. When you have playoff experience, now the guys understand the magnitude of the game. They understand that you're going to be placed in certain situations where you may be down 10 points. You may be down 14 points. And this is where the experience come in because now you know how to fight through that. You know how to go into halftime and make those adjustments. Now, there's a flip side to that coin as well. Because you've been to the playoffs, there may be a tendency sometimes to rest on your laurels just a bit, thinking that you can go in and have time and make those adjustments. So now you have to make sure that everyone is in tune during their weekly preparation and understanding the magnitude which everyone is facing. It's a win-and-go-home situation, and both teams – you know, especially the Falcons, veteran guys, but they have some young guys too as well. They have to let them know there's no guarantee in 2018 we will be back here. And for Sean McVay team, him being a young head coach, Jared Goff and a lot of players on that team not having a lot of playoff experience, 
they don't know that they don't know. And what I mean by that, they have no idea what they're walking into. So the fear factor and the fear level for them may not be there, but they still need to be reminded that this is a Matt Ryan who won the MVP, and this is a Falcon team that played in the Super Bowl earlier this year in 2017. So don't walk in there thinking with our chest poked out and head high that, hey, listen, Jerry Goff is going to turn on. He's going to have another four-touchdown game. Uh, Todd Gurley is going to have another four-touchdown game. No. The only way you get that done is by going out there and actually executing. So with some of those guys I just mentioned having days off, hopefully they thought about it. Hopefully they watched, I guess, the melee that took place yesterday and the sadness on the face of players and coaches and fans when you have to deal with the fact that you're not in the playoffs. You're going to have to watch a team that beats you. Move on. We're in the opinion-driven business, and I think you know me well enough on and off the air. I have strong views about just about everything. But in the case of the MVP conversation, I can see it both ways, and I would not be – and I don't yell that much about MVPs anymore. Hopefully I'm getting a life in my mid-40s. But I would not be that worked up if Tom Brady got it or Todd Gurley. Here's the case for Gurley. 2,000 yards from scrimmage, but because Kareem Hunt had that one splash play yesterday on the road in Denver, Gurley's not going to win the rushing title. And the numbers, just in terms of the pure rushing stats, don't blow you away. At the same time, while Tom Brady led the league in passing yards and had a good game yesterday without an interception, although the completion percentage was wobbly once more as he limped down the stretch, Brady's final totals... 32 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Nick, if I give you Carson Wentz's numbers, are you surprised that Wentz, even though he went down with the torn ACL, wound up the year, didn't play the last three games, with more touchdowns than Brady and fewer interceptions? I I won't be surprised because here's the great thing about Carson Wentz. He moved well in the pocket. We know that that's never been uh, the idea or the motif of uh, Tom Brady, a guy that has that certain type of mobility to extend play. So I'm not really uh, surprised, but uh, Carson Wentz, uh, one of the best in the NFL uh, to do it. And it's just unfortunate that he went down in the football game at the latter part of the season. That's going to knock him, for me, out of the race because it, this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of league. And granted that Tom Brady didn't have a, a cessational stretch on the back half of the schedule, but 32 touchdowns and eight interceptions. You have to look at the eight interceptions and say, well, how did those interceptions take place? And they didn't take place early in the season. It was later in the season. Yeah, five in the month of December alone. Exactly. So if you were to kind of uh, uh, eliminate those five interceptions, now he has the best touchdown-to-interception ratio. And let's just say we want to include it. 32 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Still, Tom Brady over – more than you know, 3,500 yards passing. That that that's great in the NFL. And Carson Wentz, if he were healthy and he played the last couple of games, now maybe we're we're talking about something a little different. But at this point, you know, Kareem Hunt outlasted Todd Gurley by what maybe 25 yards. So now he has a rushing title. So that only leaves. Tom Brady sitting on the hill. So with that being said, first round bye, Tom Brady gets the MVP of the league. I think Brady's going to win it. As I said, I can see the case for both players, especially when voters want to reward the success from a team concept of the L.A. Rams. Great story. Rams last year only won four games this year, wrapping up the division title. But 
if you're going to win it as a running back, you have to have astronomical numbers like Adrian Peterson coming back from the torn ACL, like Terrell Davis in Denver, like LaDainian Tomlinson, who had, what, 37 total touchdowns, something insane. I think Gurley's going to come close, but he's going to lose it. Since this is your only show as a co-host this week, and you'll be joining us as a guest, as always, on Friday, want your thoughts on the other game coming up in the NFC Wild Card Weekend. It's going to be a divisional matchup in New Orleans, Saints and the Panthers. We'll talk about the particulars coming up. Saints won the division, even though they lost in the final minute of regulation on the road in Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston with a brilliant touchdown pass. But here's Sean Payton reflecting on the division crown. You know, I think as you start the season, it's, it's one of the one of the objectives. And, uh, you know, I, I think you look at the division and you say Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans, and uh, it was strong this year. It was strong this year. So, you know, congratulations to all those teams. Nick, let me give you another football truism. Is it really that hard to beat the same team three times in one season? Because that's what the Saints will be trying to do when they match up against the Panthers again on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And here's why. is it's There's a lot of familiarity between these two clubs. And this season, when they face, the Saints have had the better of the two. The Carolina Panthers 0-2 against uh, the Saints. And we know what the Saints can do on the ground and you know when you look at the Saints organization Drew Brees was always the talk of the town how well he's throwing the ball both he and Sean Payton being great at being able to scheme against opposing defenses but with Kamara and Ingram being a one-two punch thunder and lightning as they like to call them down there in New Orleans they have performed well and to me They've taken a page out of Sean Payton's book of old oh, Darren Sproles dumping it off and giving this, utilizing the screen pass to create play, plays in the passing game. They've done that with Alvin Kamara. But it is very uh, difficult to beat a team three times in, in a row because you look at the odds. The odds are always against you because now you talk about walking into that game thinking as though, we faced this team so many times before. We failed, fared well against this team so many times in the past. So now you're wondering if the players in their weekly preparation, if they're going to pay a lot of attention to detail throughout the week or they're saying, listen, we don't really need to look at the game plan. We know Cam Newton. We know the weapons that they have, Christian McCaffrey. You know, we know that they have Devin Funches. They have Greg Olson. So we, we've seen this game plan before. So we don't really have to put that much time into film study, breaking down the plays, breaking down third down formations, what they like to do inside the red zone. That's the thing that you worry about on on either side. And with the Panthers losing to the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday, Ron Rivera and Cam Newton, they're going to make sure that they are really prepared for this game, knowing as though we've lost two times to this team already. And, and Ron's going to have to talk to his team and say, listen, we've lost to this team twice. You got to get that out of your mind, right? We have to go in and we have to win a game, the game that we really needed to win to make sure that we're not playing in a critical wild card game. We didn't get it done against Atlanta Falcons. Cam, you have to be better with the ball because we know if you turn the ball over three times to Drew Brees and Sean Payton, they can put up points and they have the ability to play, keep away with those two running backs. So this is definitely going to be a matchup 
that I'm really looking forward to see which team is going to put the pass behind him and take that step forward into trying to get to Minnesota. I can only imagine the partying that was going on last night in Buffalo. They're going to the playoffs for the first time since 1999. They beat Miami in South Florida, and then they got a holiday gift from Cincinnati defeating the Ravens, allowing Sean McDermott to go to the playoffs in his first year as the head coach of the Bills. Oh, it was a heck of a year. Um, thank the Cincinnati Bengals as well, Marvin Lewis. Uh, but really just, uh, you know, all the sacrifice that goes into this on the players' behalf, on, on everyone involved uh, in, the, in the building back in Buffalo, for all of our fans, uh, all the families involved, all the sacrifices that have gone into this. Um, I can't thank everyone enough. Congratulations to everyone. Um, it's been a long time coming, and uh, the best part is we're building. Nick, if we're going to put the playoff picture into focus, we've already talked about what's going to kick things off on Saturday. And Ian reminding all of us that John Gruden is working this week for ESPN. He'll be alongside Sean McDermott for the first of two games on Saturday. And that's Sean McDonough, of course. Gruden, McDonough, ESPN, simulcast ABC, Titans on the road in Kansas City, night game, Falcons at the Rams, looking ahead to Sunday. The first game features the Doug Marone Bowl. Marone used to be the head coach of the Bills, now the head coach of the Jaguars, going to the playoffs for the first time in nine years. Nick, as you think about the details of that matchup and unclear where LaShawn McCoy is, he was carted off the field yesterday in Miami. But do you think Buffalo should have a degree of confidence? At least they can induce more turnovers from Blake Bortles. Five, count them, five interceptions from the beleaguered quarterback for Jacksonville the last two weeks. Well, there's a certain level of confidence that the Buffalo Bills would definitely walk into Jacksonville with. But here's the issue for me. You just talked about LaShawn McCoy. You know, both he and Tyrod Taylor, they're that that one-two punch, that dynamic duo, if you will. And when LaShawn McCoy is in the game, it takes the pressure off of Tyrod Taylor because how dynamic LaShawn McCoy is. If he's not in the game now, the pace of the game is not going to be slowed down because now you have a bigger back who's not as explosive either picking up the blitz or outside the pocket as far as perimeter runs and Mike Tobert. So to me, that plays to Jacksonville, a defense that was doing well against the run early on this season. And now we're talking about a Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone team that are coming into the wildcard weekend with back-to-back losses. You lose to San Francisco, and then you lose another game against Tennessee to allow them in. So now, you, you hopefully these guys are fired up. They're upset. They're looking to take out all their pain and their frustrations on Tyrod Taylor and not having LaShawn McCoy is going to make things very difficult for Sean McDormand and Tyrod Taylor. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.